My name is Dave. We're thrilled that you're with us. If you've been invited by a friend, found us online, drove by, and, uh, and you're here, either way, we're excited that you're our guest. Our hope is that you feel loved and welcomed when you're here at home. We don't believe a gathering of people whose lives are being changed by the gospel should be uh, fake or stuffy or sad or boring. Uh, but we believe it should be uh, life-giving because we found life in Him, and we don't believe you're here by accident. Last Sunday, we kicked off a 12-week series called First. It's a series working through the New Testament book of Colossians, so if you have a Bible in front of you, go ahead and go there. Uh, We'll get there eventually. If you don't own a good Bible, get one at Guest Connections as you walk out. The verses will also be on the screen. Last week, we worked our way through the first eight verses of chapter 1. I want to go back to verse uh, 6 specifically. In this, it says this, In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. We talked about two things in there. One is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that reliable, authentic truth is changing and transforming our lives. Uh, we are living testimonies of the grace of God at work. The other reminder in verse 6 is that the gospel is changing lives around the world. The Holy Spirit is reminding the Colossian church, listen, you're not the center of the world. And, and the hope and love of Jesus was never intended to just stay in one place. It's constantly growing and spreading and needs to go to the ends of the earth. Crosspoint, I know you know this, but we need to be reminded that we're not the center of what God is doing in the world either. We are, we are an example of his work, but the end goal is not to build a crosspoint kingdom, but rather to advance the eternal kingdom of God. So as a church, we not only talk about that, but then build that into our mindset when it comes to how we do ministry, as well as even how we budget our dollars. Our budget year runs from September 1 to August 31. We're just a few weeks into the new budget year. And so over the past three, four, five years, we're continuing to increase the percentage of, of, of dollars going toward missions work. And right now in the current budget year, uh, let's see, September 1 to August 31, we're going to invest 15% of, of the offerings that God brings in. We're going to invest that back into missions work locally and globally. If you're newer to Crosspoint, our approach to finances is this. Jesus is Lord over all of it. Uh, the money side of the church is not separated from the spiritual side. We're not called to separate the two in our personal lives, so we don't do that as a church. Uh, our God is not, not only the giver of salvation, but every good and perfect gift. Uh, he is the provider who owns all of it, and he will meet the needs of his church. For the most part, we, we base the next year's fiscal budget off the previous 12 months' experience. We feel that's wise, and yet we're also not assuming or praying that our offerings will remain the same. We pray and trust God for the increase, the immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Uh, We're not looking to move into a holding pattern. We're continually praying that the kingdom of God might advance and more and more lives be changed. Personally, I'm grateful for uh, the unity and the humility and the wisdom that's so evident among our finance team, among the elders. It's such a picture of God's grace and how Jesus is first among those leaders and not our personal agendas or our sinful pride. It's most definitely an area uh, that stirs up in me a, a prayer or a heart of thanksgiving. Another area that stirs up that same kind of heart is the generosity of God's people here at Crosspoint. That's you all. You continue to say yes to, get to, to, to his call to give first and live on the rest and join Jesus on this eternal mission to, to, to see uh, lives changed and bearing fruit. And I'm so, so grateful. Many of you, over the past two and a half years, you've been given sacrificially and generously and cheerfully and faithfully to the vision of next. We're now approaching the last six months of that campaign. So my challenge to us as a church is to finish well, is to finish strong, 
continue to sow seeds into the kingdom, store up treasure in heaven by God's grace. We're doing that in our family, and I'm continuing to ask us to join us in that. If you're here and you don't uh, currently give to the Vision of Next, I challenge you to partner with us in this mission for the last six months, October through March. Six-month pledge cards are at Guest Connections along with envelopes that kind of help make sure that offering or gift goes toward the Vision of Next, and that vision is not just about a building. Uh, but rather it's about what verse 6 speaks of, that the gospel is changing lives here in this area and it's changing lives all over this world. And so over the next couple weeks, I just ask you to pray and seek the Lord for discernment and say yes to his prompting and join us in that mission to see lives changed. Today we'll be in verses uh, 9 through 14 in chapter 1. So turn there. The big theme for today is prayer. Now the nature of teaching verse by verse through the Bible lends itself to lots of different topics, and, um, but we'll see this overarching theme of prayer in these five verses. We'll see an example of a prayer that, that Paul is praying, and I think it's going to give us some things that we should be praying for one another about as well. The, the question we're continuing to ask ourselves in this series is, is this, is Jesus first in everything? Is he first in every relationship? Is he first in every environment uh, in your life? Is he first in our thoughts, in our community with one another, in our homes? Things that are first, they take priority and precedence, right? When Jesus is first, it means he is central to all we are and all we do. The, the goal of the Christian life is that Jesus would be the absolute center. He'd be the foundation upon which our life is built. And, and some of you here are exploring who Jesus is. You may believe that there's a God. You may see the sun rise and go, well, that just can't happen by chance but you have yet to know who Jesus is. He is not your Lord and Savior. You haven't put your faith and trust in Him yet for, for your salvation. And if that's you, we're thrilled that you're here. We believe you're here at a God-appointed place. This church was designed and created for you to get to know who Jesus is. Others of you, you've turned from your sin. Your faith is in Christ. Uh, he is your Savior. You're growing in your relationship with Him. You're beginning to learn what it means to have Him have every control or every uh, control of every area of your life. You're working on what it means to get to know him. So exploring Christ, growing in Christ, and then others of you are in a group called Close to Christ. You, you depend on Jesus daily in your life. You see him as someone who helps you in life. You turn to him when you face issues or trials. You, you pray to him. And then finally, the last group of people here are those, uh, whether you're on the podcast or listening um, in the living room here, Others of you would be what, what we would call Christ-centered. The people in this group would identify their relationship with Jesus as the most important relationship in their entire life. They see their lives as fully surrendered to Him, His agenda, submitting everything to Him. He is not just a part of your life, but He is your life. You haven't just given Him parts or the convenient areas or the easy ones, but you've given Him everything and you're trusting Him with, with your future, with your past, with your present, not only just with your salvation, but you're just trusting him with everything. So there's this journey of lifelong growth here, a, a progression of growth from exploring who Jesus is to then getting saved and ultimately where he is your everything, where he is your treasure, he is your foundation, he is the center or first place in your life. When our kids were uh, six and four, we did the Disney trip, all right? We only did it one day, so we're not as committed as some of you parents are, uh, or maybe you just love your children more than we do. I don't know. Um, but maybe we just knew our limitations, that it was in the best interest of the parent-child relationship if we only kept it to one day, or the best interest of the marriage relationship if we only kept it to one day. 
but they were at that age where when you went to the Magic Kingdom, oh, you went there, Buzz and Woody, they were larger than life. The princesses were amazing, and the ride like Space Mountain was out of this world, no pun intended. But if you've been to Disney or really any big amusement park, you walk in that gate, you walk in the turnstiles, and you kind of have that moment of, wow, now what? I mean, I see the castle off in the distance. I, I know Space Mountain is probably that way, and I read all the websites. We, we should go that way to manage our time best. And, but I smell cotton candy, and I've never had cotton candy at 9 a.m., and I feel like I need to have cotton candy at 9 a.m. And, and you just have this moment of, now what? And especially if you're 6 and 4, your mind just, just blows up, right? You're just not sure where to go. You're just so thrilled that you're there. Have you ever wondered, okay, I, I know Jesus. He's my Savior. He's my Lord now what? And my eyes have been open uh, to God's kingdom. My heart is suddenly aware of what Jesus has done for me, how he saved me. My life will never be the same. He's given me a new life, a new heart, and your mind is kind of blowing up like a small child going, man, now what? And you're thinking, what am I supposed to do? All right, I've gone public with my faith and in Christ, I've gotten baptized, I've celebrated that, I'm connected to a local church, I'm growing and I'm serving there. Now what? I'm thankful that Jesus is changing my heart. The gospel truth is transforming me. My, my heart is overflowing with thanksgiving, but, but now what? And this is where we find ourselves in these verses that we'll look at today. After giving thanks, the focus now is on that the, the, uh, the, this church would continue in the direction that they were headed, that what they heard and received, what we looked at last week, they would continue and grow and mature. We talked about last week that a one-time decision or prayer to receive Jesus is not the extent of the Christian life. It marks the beginning, but it does not mark the end. We hear the gospel, we understand it by God's grace, and our lives are changed. Then we are to follow and grow in Christ-likeness the rest of our lives, making progress by the grace of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what are some characteristics on what it looks like to continue to grow in Christ? This is where we'll find ourselves today in the Word. I believe it's going to serve as a uh, great encouragement in our prayer life as well because Paul is praying for these things and we should be praying for these things as well in our lives. We'll read some of the verse. We'll talk a little bit. If you have a Bible in front of you, don't be afraid to mark it up, all right? Underline, circle, make little notes. Uh, use your outline, make little notes. That would be helpful as you get into community group this week and kind of bringing to the table what the Lord spoke to you. It would also be encouraging just in your personal life because if you're like me, I sometimes have the attention span or the retention of a squirrel caught in traffic. And so it's just good to write down what the Lord encouraged you in so then on Thursday or Friday when you've already forgotten or Monday morning, you can come back to that and be reminded of what the Lord encouraged you in through these words. Verse 9 says, And so from the day we heard, some of your translations may say, For this reason... The connecting phrase here of Paul expressing his thanksgiving to God and now his prayer for the Colossian people. Remember from last week, there's some sort of false or incorrect teaching taking place in this town of Colossae. And the threat of unbiblical teaching is that the enemy would use it to lure believers away from the truth or deceive or trick them. And false teaching is something we'll deal with more in chapter 2. But Paul is saying, remember the good start. Remember when Epaphras came back and shared the gospel and you received it and you began to grow now, don't get complacent. Don't grow numb to God's sanctifying or transforming work in your life. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I love the shepherd's heart here that Paul displays. 
Because keep in mind, he's never met anyone from this church. He didn't start this church. And yet he's saying, we, we hear of God working in you. And so we're praying for you. Crosspoint, I believe these verses are a timely reminder for us as we, we just celebrated 10 years. As we move into the next 10 years of ministry, we can't neglect prayer. We can't shift into this, this thinking that all ministry and life change and growth is based on our strength and our power. To be a community and a church that is uh, devoted to Jesus, dedicated to one another, and driven to reach people, prayer has to be at the bedrock. Prayer has to drive those relationships. When the church was younger, we were desperate for God to provide. We were desperate for God to move. We were desperate for God to save people. And we can't forget that kind of childlike faith. We can't somehow put, into, put God into a box and limit his ability or power. He is the God who can't be contained by anything or anyone. No one and nothing is beyond him. And because of Jesus and the cross, we can come humbly and boldly, confidently before the throne of grace, asking, seeking, knocking for our Father in heaven to move, for our Father in heaven to transform and save and restore and provide and renew. I need to be reminded of this today. And so do you, because if, you, if you're honest and you kind of took a look at yourself and, and your prayer life, has there not sometimes been this, this uh, tendency or this drift toward praying to God, thinking that he's just a little bit wiser, a little bit more powerful than you are, rather than him being infinite and almighty? When Jesus is first in prayer, we, we are immediately aware that God is a God of miracles and power that can't even be contained by death. And here we see prayer as a foundation in the church of Colossae. And I pray that in your community groups, in your homes, in your circle of friends this week, that you uh, spend some time in prayer together. Once again, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Another way of saying this is to be filled by God. We are continually asking God to fill you. Now, what Paul has in mind here is not the idea of what is God's will for my life. Like, should I move there or date her or go there or take this job? Not a, not a particular or special direction for one's life, but rather a deep and abiding understanding of who God is and all that that means. And then we see two other qualities or characteristics that are to accompany the knowledge of our God. Wisdom and understanding. And in your program insert, you've got a question in there that looks at the Old Testament, how wisdom and understanding were two virtues necessary in, in a godly leader. And I'd encourage you to look at those verses this week and study what that means. But these two words form this combination of the ability to discern the truth and to make good decisions based on that truth. So not just the ability that says, okay, yeah, this is truth and this isn't, but, but actually live in light of that truth. And you'll notice that wisdom is described as spiritual wisdom, meaning that the Holy Spirit is the source of wisdom and understanding that the Colossians are in need of as they negotiate their way through the maze of worldviews that are in their city. If you've ever done a corn maze, you get this, right? Uh, you can't see the overall maze. Maybe you saw it before you got there. You saw the picture taken from the plane. But when you walked into the corn, all you knew is, okay, I go left, right, straight, back. You're just kind of making guesses. So the only one that could see the maze or see where to go is the one who is above the maze. So this, this area is not just about gaining smarts, but growing in wisdom and understanding that comes from above, from the Holy Spirit, from the God who knows all and sees all and has our best interests in mind. Because just like the Colossians, we face this dynamic today. 
is dynamic of a maze. Lots of ideas on beliefs and spirituality, many of which are contrary to God's word. This is why, as we grow in our faith, that Jesus must be first. The gospel must be central because false teaching will, will often slide Jesus away from the priority. And instead, you and I become the center of our faith instead of him. And in the world of social media and podcasts and the internet, we have the ability to follow people worldwide, right? I mean, I follow several pastors and churches that I respect and have learned from. But listen, make sure your heart is not following a specific person, including me. Because this is not about the teacher or the messenger. This is the one who the message is about. Sometimes you'll, you'll hear this like, oh, all he puts out is gold. No, no. There's one guy that all he's put out is gold, and that one guy is the God-man Jesus. All right? So make sure you're, you're loving the Savior more than the messenger about the Savior. So we are to grow in the knowledge of God and spiritual wisdom and understanding, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I love this because if we would have stopped at verse 9, we'd think the Christian life is just about knowing things. But verse 10 blows that myth up. Spirit-given insight into our God, as important as it is, is not the end Instead, our minds and attitudes and beliefs get realigned, and that is to produce transformation in our behavior. When Jesus is first, he's always working from the inside out. He's always working from our heart to our hands. Because if it's just about knowledge for knowledge's sake, then we are walking in a manner worthy of a Pharisee, not of Jesus. The Pharisees were the ones who their lips and their outward behavior, their words reflected God, but their hearts were far from him. Their hearts had drifted. So we are to grow in understanding and knowledge with the result that you will walk, with the purpose that you might walk, and your way of life will match what you say you believe in your heart and in your mind. Walking is this idea of a road or path that a person is traveling along. In the Old Testament, two paths or ways are often contrasted, uh, reminding those who are in Christ, if you're on this path and you're in Christ, you, you're called to continue to grow in your relationship with Christ. But then the other path is contrasted for those that are, who are not in Christ. And you're walking in a way that is leading to destruction, not leading to life. And some of you are here and you don't know Jesus yet and you're, you're on a path that is leading to destruction. Now, I didn't say those words. Jesus said those words in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. The path that leads to life or the path that leads to death is, a, is wide, it's broad, it's like a freeway, lots of people going down that path. And Jesus is saying there's another way. It's a narrow way, but it's a way that leads to life, abundant life. It's a way that leads to salvation and joy and delight and gladness here on this earth and in eternity. So which road are you on this morning? See, some of you know that you're on the broad road leading to destruction, and the reason you know that is the Holy Spirit is reminding you of that just now. That's why you know that. And he's reminding you because he loves you. And he's saying, get off this path and get on the one where you're following me instead of following yourself or following culture. Because on this path, it may not always be easy because it's narrow, but on this path, it leads to salvation and abundant life and life that cannot be taken away here on this earth or in eternity. So today, for those of you who, who find yourself on a, 
on a path that's leading to destruction. It's, it's a path that if you were honest and had this honest moment, it's not leading you toward Jesus or toward the things of God. And if you find yourself on that path, listen to the Holy Spirit's voice in your life saying, get off that path and follow me instead. Say yes to that prompting. Say yes to the voice that's speaking to you now. So what's this nature of the new walk in Jesus? This new walk is, is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. When we walk in a, in a manner worthy of the Lord, our lives bring the Lord pleasure and joy. It leads up to, it rolls up to worship. Our lives are intended to uh, bring Him worship. Now keep in mind, the Lord sets the standard for this walk not us. Because we, we can look at this verse and, and this is what we might have a tendency of doing. We, we look at this verse and go, well, my walk is, is pleasing to the Lord because I'm better than that guy, right? In a sense, we change this verse in our minds and says, we want to live in a manner worthy of our friend. Because our friend really like looks up to us and respects us, but our friend doesn't see the, the, the brokenness in our heart. Or we want to live in a manner worthy of our neighbor because have you seen my neighbor? I mean, I'm better than that guy or that woman. Instead, God's continually saying, measure yourself vertically to me. Because we fall into this trap of measuring ourselves horizontally and we think we're good. And Christ in Colossians is, is de definitely going to continue to say, is Jesus first? Are you measuring yourself vertically to a Savior? We're going to keep seeing in Colossians Jesus being lifted up, Him being elevated. So what does this new walk look like? Well, the first thing He mentions here is bearing fruit in every good work. It'd be weird to walk up to an apple tree and pick oranges off of it, right? It'd be cool here in central Illinois to be able to do that, but it'd be weird. Apple tree produces apples. In the same way, the fruit and attitudes and actions of a Christian's life should reflect who is at the center of their life, who is the trunk of or the vine that, that their life is connected to. If, um, if Jesus, uh, if someone were to come up to your life, and um, because when, when our life is connected to the trunk, when our life is connected to the vine, then people will come up and say, man, I just I see this in your life. And they wouldn't say, I see fruit in your life, because that'd be weird. That'd be a weird conversation. I see an apple hanging off your arm. Um, but instead, it would be, you just seem faithful. You're faithful to your spouse or there's just this peace about you when everything else seems to be crumbling, you, you seem peaceful. Or, boy, you just there's this joy. It's not happiness, but there's this joy in you. Or, man, you just love people. And so and, and in response to that, we would say, no, that, it's not me that you're seeing. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit at work in my in my life, this is Jesus who you're seeing, not me. Paul also says this way of life, besides just bearing fruit in every good work, this way of life is described as increasing in the knowledge of God. The NLT says it this way, you will learn to know God better and better. Between dating and marriage, Heather and I have been together for over 21 years, or almost 21 years. And in that time together, I have grown in my knowledge of my wife. I've grown in my knowledge of what she likes and what she doesn't and how best to communicate and how not to communicate and how I can best express my love to her that she would receive that. And in marriage, when we stop becoming students of each other and stop growing in our knowledge about how our spouse is designed and how they tick and how they're wired, our marriage shifts to neutral. And if you've ever driven a stick car and you've taken your foot off the brake, you realize that the car does not roll forward. 
but it always rolls backward. The goal is always forward movement, growth, not shifting into neutral. And the same is true to an even greater degree of importance with Jesus. As we walk with and follow him, we will learn more and more about him. And for me, I'm just blown away often of the, of the love that I've experienced through Jesus, love that I don't deserve, uh, I, I don't earn it at all, but he just lavishes it and gives it. Now, we listen to these phrases of bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God, and, and maybe you feel yourself kind of being crushed under this weight of self-defeat. This whisper from our spiritual enemy that says, man, you're not doing that. The things he's talking about, you're not doing that. Or, the, or you're just wrought with condemnation. Or right now you're, re- you're thinking, okay, I really need to get this together. I need to, I'm gonna, tomorrow I'm going to start working harder at this and God has really disappointed me and he just, he just, I just stink as a Christian. I failed him again. And if I were doing these things, he would love me more. Listen, knock it off. It doesn't come from God. All those little thoughts or whispers, those, those don't come from God. Your identity is in Jesus, in your adoption, in your justification. And you haven't been justified or made holy before God because how awesome you and I are. It's only through Jesus. So we are saved by faith and we are being saved by faith. By grace, not by our efforts I love the Bible because the very next sentence reminds us this is not about us and our power and our strength. It it confronts this idea that was going through the Colossians and goes through our mind that when we hear about bearing fruit and increasing knowledge, going, man, I just, I need to do better. Now, what I'm not saying is that we don't join God or cooperate with God in a lifelong journey to grow. But at the end of it, behind our efforts, is a God who's never left us nor forsaken us, a God that says daily, I will give you the strength, the power, the grace, the mercy you need. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Jesus remains first, not ours, not not us. His goodness, not ours. His strength, not ours. His power, not ours. And, our, and this power is continually available. It's never running out. It's endless, unlimited uh, source of energy, strengthened by God with the greatest strength imaginable. And the source of all this endless power is God's glorious might. The verse says, according to His glorious might. His glory is His, his weighty, overwhelming, awe-inspiring presence. So the strength that God supplies His people is in relation to God's own glory, His glory that even the Son can't compare to. This morning, I was on my way out here, and the sun was kind of at the horizon point where it's so blinding, it's tough to see, and just brilliantly uh, bright. Now, with that in mind, Revelation 21, 23 says, the city, heaven, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. So the sun is worthless and temporary throwaway compared to the glory of God. I mean, I can't even get my pea brain around that. The glory of God, we can't even look at the sun for a few seconds before going blind, and God's glory doesn't even compare to that. So we're strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For what? For all endurance and patience with joy. I don't know about you, but there are two words in there that I desperately need of every day. Endurance and patience, let alone patience with joy. 
I mean, come on. Let's get honest. Patience with joy? The idea here is this ability to, uh, to bear up under difficult circumstances as well as the ability of long-suffering toward people. This is huge. We probably don't talk about this enough when, we, when, we, when a person gives their life to Jesus, but many false teachers will say that now that you have Jesus, everything's going to go right for you. I mean, you're going to hit all the green lights. Jesus is going to pay ahead of schedule. I mean, there's sickness and trouble and difficulty. They're all things of the past. Disease won't touch you. The devil won't tempt you. And the problem with that, the problem with that is the Bible. Right? The Bible's just not going to let us off the hook like that. The problem with that teaching is then when things get difficult, we shake our fist at God and say, why did you do this to me? I thought we had a deal. I thought because I lived this way, then you had to act that way. See that, how jacked up that is? Listen, evil can't come from a perfectly good God. What you're experiencing could be uh, seeds of sin that you've sown, you and I have sown, or it could simply be that we live in a broken, fallen world that's fractured and shattered ever since Genesis 3 and ultimately is going to be restored by Jesus. So in life with Jesus as first, we need endurance and patience, right? One pastor puts it this way, endurance is what faith, hope, and love bring to an apparently impossible situation. Patience is what faith, hope, and love uh, show to an apparently impossible person. Endurance and patience shown best in Jesus. Our sin problem was an apparently impossible situation. But then Jesus came to dwell among us and God pursued us in that way. And suddenly with God, all things became possible, including salvation from the wrath of God as a free gift for all who would receive. And I don't know about you, but I am an impossible person. I think I used to think that the impossible people were just like that annoying guy at work or uh, the, the guy that can't shut his mouth watching the game or the, the guy that just can't shut his mouth altogether and just the know-it-all, here, let me, I have some thoughts and I didn't ask for those thoughts, but I've got some thoughts. I mean, that kind of guy, I thought those were just the impossible people, but then Jesus lovingly goes, no, well, it's you too. You were an impossible person. And Jesus has shown me grace and mercy. And Paul refers to this in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. You should look it up this week. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. Paul kind of talks about how he was an impossible person. But then Jesus stepped into his life and brought himself glory as a result of it. So when you hit the gates of the new kingdom of God and you're wondering which way to go and now what and what happens next, here are three things so far that we are to grow in. Bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with power so that we might have endurance and patience with joy. And now a fourth, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. We saw this last week, but we're being reminded of it already again. As Jesus is first, we grow in a heart that is grateful and thankful. When we give thanks for something, it implies that we have received received it, but not earned it, all right? But it's been given as a gift. For the most part, you probably don't thank your employer every other week or when you get paid, do you? You probably don't like, yeah, every other week you're not, oh, thank you. Why? I mean, it's not saying you're not appreciative, but you've earned it. You've worked hard for this. Now, if somebody after the service just gave you 100 bucks and said, we love you, we just want to give this to you as a gift, that would lead in, uh, cause in you a heart of thanksgiving. You'd be 
grateful. When you become aware that you've been chased down by Almighty God who loves you that much and, and how your life has been rescued and you've been given a, a gift that can't be taken away and you did nothing to earn it, when Jesus is first, our response is not entitlement, like, yeah, about time you did something. Our heart is thanksgiving instead, giving thanks to the Father. And the direction now Paul uh, goes in these verses is to remind them of the good news and what Jesus has done. This is the foundation of their life in Jesus who must be first, who must be center. Uh, verse 12 again, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. One of the most painful things to watch in the Olympics is guys getting disqualified. Athletes, men and women who have trained for years, like since age four, They've been training, they've been eating right, and they've been doing all these things seven days a week, hours upon hours, and they jump the gun by a millisecond and they get disqualified. They're DQ'd by the judge. But that's the rules. They can't have an unfair advantage. Without Jesus, we are disqualified to share in the inheritance. We are disqualified to be acceptable to God. We are born disqualified. Disqualified for eternal life in heaven. We can train. Listen, this is how I grew up. I thought if I could just trained, if I just did enough stuff on the outward appearance, that would somehow tip the fake, uh, mythical, eternal scales of good in my favor. But there are no such scales. And so at birth, we are disqualified for eternal life in heaven. We can train, we can do all the outward things we can, but without Jesus, without Jesus getting hold of our hearts and transforming our hearts, we are DQ'd by the judge. The good news is, is, the, is that the judge didn't leave it like that, though. But then he sends Jesus to qualify us, to bear our sin, and through faith in him, we are then qualified to run the race, adopted into the family to join the adventure of pursuing God for a lifetime, where he is our joy, he's our delight, he's our everything. We get Jesus. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, delivered us transferred us. Some translations may say rescued us, which I love. Imagine drowning and you've been rescued and then brought into the safety of, of a boat. Rescued from darkness, brought into light, brought into the darkness, uh, brought, brought out of the darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. So imagine that boat and drowning example again. You're treading water, you're beginning to drown and someone says, uh, they, they float up on their boat and they say, I'm here to rescue you. But all they do is simply just stay in their boat and they don't help you out of the water and you're like, could, could you help me? I'm, I'm glad that you're here and we have some companionship, but could you actually help me out of the water? No, no, I'm just, I'm just here. I mean, you'll, you'll be fine. I'm here to rescue you. It doesn't even make sense, does it? But unfortunately, that's the picture sometimes we have of the gospel and it's incorrect. Listen to the beginning of, verse, uh, of, of verses 1 through 3 in Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. So Jesus came to dwell among us and then died in our place. And he said, no, no, I'll do the work of rescuing. I'll pull you into the boat. Stop trying to pull yourself out of the water on your own. But just lift up your arms Trust in me. I'll pull you into the boat. I'll rescue you. I'll bring you. I'll transfer you into a new kingdom. And so my grace will not only rescue you, but my grace will bring you into the kingdom of the beloved son. And that's what this boat is called. 
And then also my grace will be sufficient for you when I then call you to live in a manner worthy of me. And then my grace will also empower you when I say, now you're on a mission to go rescue others. Because the kingdom of the beloved son is not a cruise ship. It's a rescue boat. It's not designed for our comfort, but it's designed to advance the cause of Christ. Verse 14, in Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Redemption, one of the best words in the Bible. For the Colossians, this would have brought to mind the transaction by which a slave paid a price to secure their release from slavery. Jesus came to redeem sinners from slavery uh, by offering himself as that ransom, as the payment. So then through Jesus, we are restored back to our original design to worship and love and serve our creator. The chains and, and power of sin are broken and we are set free to serve and love the God that has saved us. So without Jesus, we are still chained up to our sin and maybe you're feeling that today. Maybe you're feeling that. You're in this vicious cycle of trying to break the power of sin on your own and if you're honest, it's just not working out very well, is it? When you break the power, the so-called power for a couple days and then it's back and you're in this vicious cycle of running back to it and going back and forth. But listen, there's hope and the hope is found in a person that, and that person is the perfect son of God who, who is the Messiah, the sent one who died in our place, who bore our sin and by his wounds we are healed and, and our hope is in the risen Savior who then didn't remain dead and hung on a cross but he rose again on the third day. And now, as a result, that power of sin, the power of death, the power of the devil, it's all shattered. It's all broken in Christ. Jesus is the one who beat it. He's the hero. He's the Savior. In Jesus is where we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. My challenge to us as a church is for the remainder of this series is that we would pray verses 9 through 14 for one another in your community groups, in your friendship circles, in your ministries, in your, in your homes, that, that these verses would be guiding and leading us toward prayer for one another. It's one thing to talk about prayer and, and the things we should be praying for. It's a whole other thing to just say, let's stop talking about it. And let's actually pray. Let's spend some time praying about it. And then I would love to hear how the Lord is answering these prayers. How is the Lord increasing uh, the fruit of the Spirit in your life? How are you growing in the knowledge of God? How are you being strengthened with power so that you might have endurance and patience with joy? How do you see your joy increasing? What about a heart of thankfulness? How, how do you see these things developing and maturing and progressing in your life as you pray God's word back to him? And then I would love for you to share your stories with one another. Send them to me as well. Let's encourage one another as we, as we put Jesus first in prayer. And with that in mind, let's, let's close up and let's read Colossians uh, 1, 9-14 as our closing prayer. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness 
of sins. Jesus, we are so grateful for who you are and what you've done and what you continue to do in our lives. And Jesus, I'm praying that as a church, we would, make, uh, we would grow in our dependence on you, in our conversation with you in prayer, in the way that we listen, the way we talk to you. And we would come boldly and confidently before you, knowing that you are great and you are mighty and nothing is beyond you. I pray for those here that don't know you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to reveal yourself uh, to them. I pray that they would uh, follow you. They would turn from their sin. They put their faith and trust completely in you. In a sense, they would lift up their arms saying, I'm done trying to lift myself out of the muck and mire. And instead, they'll put uh, their, their faith and trust in you to do the work. I thank you for the, you, you are the rescuer. You're the hero. You're, re- you're the redeemer. You're the savior. Jesus, we lift you up as the chief shepherd, as the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the leader of this church and the leader of our lives. I pray that you continually, relentlessly would clamor for that top spot in our hearts and we would surrender and we would say yes. In Jesus' name, amen.